Friends, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And this is a short scripture reading, but it is worth every word of it. So listen for the words of God in this reading. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please join me in a spirit of prayer. Holy, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to tell you about where it is in that Gospel of Matthew. It comes right before we see Jesus talking a lot about Sabbath, right before Jesus is talking about how on the Sabbath day his followers are permitted to gather up some grain from the edges of the fields to harvest that and to eat it. Even though that's labor, if you're hungry, it's okay to do that. And so this scripture from this morning, it comes right before that part. And it comes right after we have this emotional um, piece in which Jesus is giving basically a monologue on uh, all these towns that he's been visiting, all these towns he's been doing miracles in and preaching on, and he gives this kind of an emotional monologue on his frustration that they have yet to repent and recognize the presence of God. And so they have yet to repent, and it's okay to take the wheat from the edges of the field, and in the middle of that is Jesus talking about who he is. And at different times during the gospel, we find that Jesus will say, quite frankly, this is who I am and why I'm here. And this is one of those moments. It's a pericope, it's a portion of the gospel in which Jesus says who he really is. And we're gonna read it one more time because this is very important. This is Jesus saying, here's who I am and here's why you might follow me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This scripture is one that is held up as a moment in which Jesus is promoting these rhythms of rest and work in a way that echoes a lot of previous texts' notion of the Sabbath and this proper rhythm for how we live our lives. And so in this moment, Jesus is saying, I see you. I see you who is weighed down by your calendar, by your obligations, by your work, by your obligations to the people in your life, by volunteer events and soccer game pickups and more, I see you. I see you who are burdened and up all night thinking about your financial lives or the health of your loved ones. I see you. And Jesus says, come here. Come here and I will give you rest. Rest in me, he says. And then he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Become one of my people and learn the ways that I teach. Learn a new way. 
Jesus says. And that is what we will be continuing to do this morning. We will be continuing to explore what it is to live in a new way. So friends, this morning we continue on this journey of discovering more about Sabbath and what our religious tradition has to say about that. And by now, many of you in different conversations with me over the course of the month have told me about ways that you are incorporating more intentional Sabbath into your life, and I'm loving hearing about that. And Sabbath is really one of these most critical parts about living out our Christian faith. It's a critical spiritual practice piece that applies to all of us. And it's one of the Ten Commandments, but somehow it becomes the commandment that people often think of as less critical. We know we are not supposed to murder people, and we don't. We know we're not supposed to you know, go without honoring our parents, and so we do an effort to do that. But Sabbath somehow drops off the priority list for many people. Do we really have to do that one? Do we really have time to do that one? And in a world that works us to the point of weary, we don't have forever to take back a proper rhythm of our life, to take back the intentionality over our lives and refuse a pattern of life in which we have no opportunity to connect with ourselves and with others and with God. Because all we need to do is look a story from one of our faith ancestors. I'm going to tell you this morning a little bit about the Israelites and how they handled their lives and their rhythms of rest and work. So the Israelites were enslaved people for a very, very long time. And then they weren't. And then they were no longer in this owner relationship. They were no longer locked into this system that this amazing theologian Kara Root says dictates their worth solely by what they produce. So the Israelites, for 400 or so years, were in this system in which what they produced equaled their worth. And now they're no longer locked into that system. But this is new, this unfolded and unlocked new way of life. It is brand new. And because their communal memory and the ways their lives have unfolded have been as enslaved people for 400 years or more, so this is brand new. And so in their family systems and in all the inherited trauma from one generation to another, all that they have in their DNA is this sense of powerlessness and that work equals worth. But now they're free, and so now what happens? What happens now that the Israelites are free is that they have to learn how to live again. They have to learn how to be in community as free people again, as people who answer only to God and not to Pharaoh. So pause with this for a moment. One day out of seven days, God has told us to all stop working. And the reason that this is okay, this Sabbath is okay, is because it is not just okay, but it is holy and sacred and ordained by God. Because we, as God's people, are not ultimately defined by our output. Our worth is not defined by our work. That was not the way for the Israelites, once freed, and it is not the way for us. We are, in fact, not defined by our work, or what we do each day, we are defined by our being. We are humans being, not humans doing. And what is the being that we sit in? We sit in the being that is knowing that we are created by God and that we belong to God, not a system of work equals worth. We are a human in relationship to God. 
And this lesson that we are human and that God is God and that we can rest one day a week, secure in the knowledge of who we are and of whose we are, is one of the most challenging things to wrap around, to get our human psyche around. And so we have to not have it be solely this intellectual understanding. We have to root it down in practice. It has to become something that is a habit. And habits take time to form, they take discipline to form, and most of the studies and the books that I've read say they take around 66 days to form. And that might ring true to you when you've tried to bring on a new habit into your life. Has it taken around 66 days to become cemented? For many of you who have gotten to know me better over our last couple of months in ministry together, you know that I am a person who is deeply habit-oriented. My day hinges upon my morning routine, which is just this critical part of my day. And it is a hard one routine because I am not a morning person and I will hit snooze for hours if I have the opportunity. And it is hard one because I'm not immune to the societal messages that as soon as you wake up, you must be doing something productive. You must be uh, doing something for somebody else. But some time ago, I took back my mornings, and I didn't let them slip away, and I got up earlier, and I decided that mornings were for me, and for God, and for my household. And I knew that that went against the grain of a work equals worth culture and a distraction-oriented culture, and I knew that this would be a series of habits that required a great deal of discipline to establish and to hold on to. And it was hard to get each of these habits going. But the result was so very worth it for my physical and mental and spiritual health and for my relationship with myself and others and God. So every morning when I wake up, I sit outside in the yard with the dogs and I pray and I do a gratitude practice. And then I feed those hungry dogs. And then I head down to the basement and I go on the Peloton. I go on the bike for a while. I lift some weights. And then I go upstairs and I tidy up my space while I listen to something motivating. And then I get ready for the day, I eat breakfast, and I go for another walk with the dogs. And each and every part of that routine is completely critical because each and every part is for me, it is for my household, and for my relationship with God. Because each part reminds me that I'm a human being before I am ever a human doing. So I nourish myself each morning, mind, body, and spirit. I center myself before I turn outward and consider what it is that I can give and be of service to the others and the world that day. It is the oxygen mask concept. It is what you hear every time you're ever on an airline flight and the flight attendant says over the speaker that if the cabin pressure were to drop, there's this little compartment and out of it is gonna come this tube and this bag and this little yellow cup that you might put on your face. And every time they say that the bag may or may not inflate, but don't worry about it, I don't know what that's about. So the oxygen mask. What do they say about the oxygen mask too? You know the other line, right? It's going through your head right now. Put on yours first, before the child, before the person sitting next to you on the other side who needs your assistance, put on yours first. And it's not selfish. It's practical. It's not selfish to secure your mask first because the point is this. If you don't secure your mask first, you are of absolutely no help to anybody else and in fact you're a liability. 
If you are not able to secure your mask first, but you choose, if you are able to secure your mask first, but you choose out of some misguided sacrificial framework that doesn't help anyone to help somebody else first, you're not actually helping anyone at all because there you are without your oxygen mask. So when I thought about that story, there's another story that came to mind for me, and it's this woman that I know, and she was going through uh, this incredibly challenging experience of caring for her husband who was on hospice care at their home. And that in and of itself is admirable and noble and good and right. But what was striking in the midst of her grief and the demands of those around her and the paperwork and the details and the desire to sit at his bedside nonstop was this striking thing. She kept running every day. She was a runner all her life, so each morning she laced up her tennis shoes and she put on her headphones and she ran for several miles because that was who she was. She's a runner her whole life. And when her husband's physical health declined, she did not stop running because running was her oxygen mask. And before she could be fully present to him and be at his bedside, she had to be present to herself and with God as her feet hit the ground over and over again. That is an oxygen mask situation. She put hers on first so that then she could put on his. And the thing is, in stories like this one, we tend to see how good that is, right? Because we have this idea that during this terrible time, wow, she's still self-sufficient. She still took 40 minutes a day to connect with herself. She's really taking care of herself, right? So it's good, and we have that notion about it. But here's what is the real challenge. The real challenge is to realize that that oxygen mask is not just for when the cabin pressure drops. That oxygen mask is something you need to think about day to day. It's not just for those incredibly challenging moments in your life. The practice of caring for yourself, of putting your oxygen mask on first, of practicing Sabbath, of practicing rest, this is for all the time. This is for every week. God said, don't do that only when the challenging times come, practice Sabbath. God said, do it every week because it has to be a habit. Because in crisis, we don't go to things that are not habits. We go to the habits. So if we build these habits into our lives of rest and renewal and Sabbath and self-care, of putting your oxygen mask on first, then when things get really bad, you know where to go. You know the rest and the rhythm and the routine that serves you well. So here's the thing. Self-care is a trendy word, it's a popular word, and you're gonna see it on every magazine in the grocery store now that I just said it right here. You're gonna see it on every single magazine when you go to the grocery store this week, because it's everywhere. So this morning I wanna to talk to you about these, there's these two different types of self-care, and the self-care is the part that is gonna tell you what your, your particular oxygen mask is. So we need Sabbath. How do we do Sabbath? We need habits. How do we do habits? We need to realize our oxygen mask. What is our oxygen mask going to be? It's personal. You find it out through figuring out your self-care. There are two types of self-care. The first type is restorative self-care. And restorative self-care is this kind of thing. It's paying your bills. It's sleeping eight hours a night. It's visiting the dentist. It's the stuff that is for you. But it is not trendy, and it is not incredibly relaxing. In fact, visiting the dentist is the opposite of relaxing for me. But it is the stuff that keeps your life moving and functional and afloat. 
It's necessary and it's for you. And then there's this other category and that is called indulgent self-care. And I want to just uh, hear right now your Puritan work ethic is going, ooh, indulgent, that's not me, right? But I challenge you, dear New Englanders, to just try it on, that when you have that reaction to the word indulgent self-care, that tells us a little bit something about what we've been programmed to think about caring for ourselves, isn't it? So the indulgent self-care, that's where it's different for each person, and that might be for a sailor, somebody who says, I'm going to go out on my boat all afternoon, I'm going to reconnect. This is something where a gardener says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to dig in the dirt for longer than usual. This is somebody who likes Netflix and says, I'm gonna watch a few more shows before I get up off the couch. It's different for everyone. And there's two things that are key about indulgent self-care. And the first one is that we need to not judge each other about it. Because for some people, it's one thing, and for some people, it's another, and your self-care doesn't look like your self-care, and that's okay. And then the second thing is that we actually need to encourage each other to do the thing that is the most healing and fulfilling for each person. We need to be the opposite message of what society says, which is you don't have time to spend an extra hour in the garden. We could actually be the type of people who say to one another, that is great that you spent that extra time in the garden because that is what your soul needed. That's where your soul found rest. And so here is the point of this morning's sermon. I'm gonna trace it for you here. God wants us to practice Sabbath, but to do so, we have to build habits that make that practice sustainable. We need to be accustomed to putting on our oxygen mask first. And if you don't know what your oxygen mask is, look at self-care and think about which restorative self-care pieces are a part of your equation and which indulgent self-care pieces are a part of your equation. Self-care, restorative and indulgent, leads to an oxygen mask leads to habit forming, leads to people who actually practice Sabbath in their life, long term. So this week, I have three things that I want to challenge you to do as we get towards the end of this sermon series. I'm ramping up my challenge for you. I want to hear about it next week in coffee hour. Here are the three things. So if you're like me and you have no memory at all, you can write this down in your bulletin, put it on your phone. Or if you have wonderful memory, just try to remember these three challenges. The first one is that as you go about your week this week, try really hard to remember that you're human and that you're not God, that you are human and that God is God. And try not to get those mixed up because as soon as we get those mixed up, we're never going to have a sustainable Sabbath practice. Things start to fall apart. So remember, you are human. God is God. You are a human being, not a human doing. The second one is this. Put your oxygen mask on first. Notice when it is that you are drained to your core because you are oxygen masking six people and you're just completely neglecting your own. Notice that. Stop and secure your own mask first. Third one, try to practice self-care this week, both types. See what they feel like. Become aware of when you are practicing restorative self-care and what that looks like for you and how that might become a habit that rolls into Sabbath. Notice when you're practicing indulgent self-care. Some of you never do. Here's my challenge, try it. Try being in the garden for joy. Try going on your boat a little longer. Try reading an extra chapter for you. Try that. See how that makes you feel, your soul. See how that opens channels for you with God. 
So practice restorative and indulgent self-care, secure your oxygen mask first, and remember, my friends, that you are human and that God is God. Amen.